Hello and welcome to Build Back Better, a series of online conversations from For the Region about the future of South West Wales. Hello everyone and welcome to Build Back Better, a series of conversations from For the Region. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be talking to Joanna Clark. Joanna is Design Manager at Specific, which is a project based out of Swansea University. And Joanna's passion is for active buildings, low carbon buildings and best practice in how you make the buildings of the future. Welcome, Joanna. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you. Thanks for the introduction. Yes, so I'm an architect, worked in commercial practice for 11 years before I joined Specific back in 2013. Specific's a a project that's led by Swansea University. So it's an academic and industrial collaboration focused on developing and investigating different solar energy technologies for buildings. So it's an innovation and knowledge centre. It's come out of the material science department at the College of Engineering in the university. We've got three main industrial partners, Tata Steel, NSG, which is Pilkington Glass and AXA Nobel but we also work with a whole host of other academic and industrial partners. And we've got groups looking at the next generation of printable photovoltaics, electrical storage, batteries, and thermal storage as well. So we've got quite a wide variety of researchers, research groups. And as you said, I'm design manager, so I work on the building side of things, getting the technologies out onto buildings. And so I know that over the last few years, you've developed an active classroom and an active office on the Bay Campus site, which are kind of really exemplary low energy buildings, buildings that produce their own energy effectively. Tell us about the launch of the toolkit for low carbon building and why you've released the toolkit and what it's all about. Yes, we designed the active classroom back in 2016 and that was a very experimental. You can just see it on this side of me, a <laughs> single story building. So one of our goals as an innovation and knowledge centre is to work with companies to try and de-risk some of the new technologies that they might be developing or new materials for buildings by putting them on our own buildings where we can trial and test them in a relatively sort of safe environment before people will have the confidence to use them on other buildings. So we built the classroom using a new form of off-site panelised construction. It had a new building integrated photovoltaic roof by a company called BIP Vico, who are based in Newport in South Wales. So we do try and work with UK companies as far as possible. You'll notice both buildings are clad in steel, down to our partner Tata Steel. And we believe steel is a great material for sort of longevity and doesn't need much maintenance or, or any maintenance. So that's one of the reasons we use a lot of steel in our buildings. And yeah, the classroom, we learned a lot from that. We used new battery technologies as well as some of the technologies we were developing at Specific. So then in 2017, one of our main funders, which is Innovate UK, they awarded us some funding to build a second building next to the classroom, which was the active office. This time they wanted it to be replicable. So basically we had to use technologies that were readily available to the market, albeit that it had to be an active building. So it had to use solar energy to generate heat and electricity, store that energy within the building in batteries and thermal storage, and then use that within the buildings. We learned a lot from that building as well, because although it was a repeatable building, it did have some very novel technologies. 
the newest technology was the PVT tubes on our south elevation, which are a combined solar thermal and PV system. So they generate both heat and electricity, ideal for a sort of space constrained south elevation. Because we'd learned so much and we have a lot of people come to us and you know want to work with us on their own projects, I felt there was a need to have some kind of mechanism for sharing this information with others. So developed two very detailed case studies on both buildings, but also just because we've got sort of six principles to an active building, we start by looking at fabric first. So making sure that the building envelope is as thermally efficient as possible, using energy efficient uh, equipment that work well together. Then we look at generating energy, then we look at storage, integrating electric vehicles and how we may, will manage the interactions with the, the grid structure. So how we import or export energy from our buildings. So I developed a design guide then to sort of really sort of map out the key considerations that you would have at each of the RIBA work stages and at each point in a project. And it kind of evolved from being one document that would be just a design guide to a whole series of documents. You've got the design guide, the case studies. I pulled all the sort of technology out of the document into their own document because technology changes quite rapidly. So that helps to keep it up to date and we can add to it when we come across new technologies. But the main reason was to sort of share our knowledge, but also to provide designers with some information to maybe reduce the time that they have. They don't Designers don't generally have a lot of time to research new technologies when they're working on a building project. So the idea was that this would perhaps save them some time. So who is the intended audience for the toolkit? Is it really aimed at architects and designers to help them specify new technologies on, on building projects? Yes, at the moment it is aimed at the design team. So it could be architects or mechanical electrical engineers, building services, anyone who's involved with an active building project. The ultimate goal is maybe to have design guides for different users. So there might be a guide for clients, a guide for building users themselves once, once you hand the building over. Maybe there'd be a different one for contractors so that you're sort of reaching out to people with the most relevant information that they need really at the time. One of the documents, it's called an active building induction. It's aimed at giving a very brief introduction to what we mean by active buildings and that could potentially be used when you're inducting people onto a building site for example so it's just to introduce people to what they need to think about. So I came across the toolkit because I'm doing my own bit of research as a client I suppose I'm in the process of trying to renovate a house in Swansea and I'm really interested in how we can make that a sustainable and energy efficient build it's a an old property and so what I was really interested in I was I was really I, I appreciated the six stages and it first helped me to understand which related to a conversation we've had recently on this channel about renewable energy and one of the key challenges for the renewable energy sector is kind of balancing the grid and knowing what energy demand buildings will have on the grid and trying to sort of stabilize that energy demand. So my understanding about how what we're ultimately trying to do with new buildings is enable them to kind of operate within a, a fixed budget of, of energy use so that they can interact with, with the grid. We'll perhaps come on to some of that. But the other thing that seems really important to me, because we can get tied up in all the different technologies like are you going to have an air source heat pump are you going to have heat recovery ventilation are you going to install solar panels 
But what I appreciate about the first stage, which you call fabric first, is that there's so much that we could all be thinking about on any property, whether it's a new build or a renovation, to do with insulation and air tightness. How mm. important is that? Why does that come first? And how important is that to the overall success of a project? It's critical, really, because if you're going to reduce the energy that you use within a building, you need to make sure that you've done everything you can with the envelope, with the sort of passive design of your building to reduce that energy in the first place. So you wouldn't, for example, be able to run your building necessarily completely from photovoltaics or, or from one of the other technologies. So you need to give that energy a fighting chance of being able to deliver the energy that you need. In terms of the building envelope, if you've got a very well insulated building envelope, you not only stop energy from escaping from the building, so once you, you it might mean that you need a small amount of energy to heat the building and you're not going to lose that energy because you've got that tight building fabric. But equally in the summer, you know, you can prevent overheating from excessive solar gains because that's another issue, even in the UK, believe it or not. So it's very, very critical to, to, to get that right in the first place. There's a lot you can do before you start sort of putting technologies in. And it's the most cost effective way as well. So it, it does make a, a difference. It's, it is more difficult on existing properties. And of course, all existing buildings have their own intricacies. You can't choose the perfect site, the perfect orientation. So it is more challenging on retrofit schemes, but it's possible. Yeah, it seems to me that we could spend a lot of money on new technologies, but if we've got a really drafty building and all that sustainably generated heat is just escaping, and our buildings are so drafty, it's really made me look around at everything. You know, <laughs> our, my, my, where I live now is not only, it's not airtight, but actually mice are getting in, so there must oh, be big, <laughs> big holes in the fabric. Um, but so... My experience in talking to, you know, our design team on this property that we're trying to renovate is that, you know, out there on the ground in the marketplace, I guess in the private sector, designers and cost surveyors, quantity surveyors are not automatically specifying buildings to the standard that we all you know we're all much more aware of it aren't we we could mm. start there you know climate emergency the need to make our buildings more sustainable I think what is it 40 percent of UK carbon emissions currently comes from the way we heat and power our buildings so it's a big deal in trying to reduce carbon emissions overall so it's top of everyone's agenda mm. but actually then when you're setting about thinking okay how do I do this on my building it's actually quite hard to find that information and quite hard to find the expertise of people who are, have the experience that you would need to make the right decisions. Do you think that's right? Do you think that there's a big skills gap in what's needed? I know you run workshops for architects and designers. Yeah. I mean, I would say designers have the skills and the ability and probably even the desire to design low energy buildings for people. But they're very much driven by clients. So clients uh, may maybe need to, to realise the impact. And I think probably are more so now with it sort of rising on the agenda for everybody. But they're very much sort of restricted, I suppose, by a client's budget, by timescales, all the different challenges that they have to deal with, you know, maybe planning legislation. Often people, unless they're asked to do differently by the clients or unless they can persuade a client that it's the right thing to do, they're only able to design the building to meet current regulations. 
to meet the standards that the clients are asking for, really. So building regulations are the thing that drive most of the decisions in terms of, you know, how far do you go with fabric efficiency? Do you go just enough to meet building regs or do you go above and beyond? And if you're spending somebody else's money, it's difficult to do that without their backing. We've got all sorts of different environmental assessment methods, you know, like RIAM is probably the most well-known, but there's something called the Living Building Challenge. There's you know, the well building standards, there's lead, there's lots of different standards that people can follow and people can aspire to. But for designers, I think they're in quite a difficult position because they have so many things to juggle. And as you, you mentioned, quantity surveyors, it's their job to keep the costs under control. So, and most projects at the moment as well, they're procured based on a capital cost. So one of the things that we're trying to do as well is to get, and there's a lot of this going on in industry, trying to get people to think about whole life value of buildings. And that's very difficult when you've got your initial budget to build, you, you're not necessarily able to consider the savings down the line in operational savings, but it's more and more critical with the climate emergency. People have, you know, they're having to start to think differently now, but it is to change behaviours or to change attitudes, to change culture is quite a difficult thing so it can be slow but I, I think it, it has to happen now if we're going to meet our decarbonisation targets. In terms of skills of you know maybe people who are installing contractors I think there probably is a bit of a skills gap not only in terms of understanding things like air tightness and the importance of building fabric avoiding thermal bridging those sorts of things but then when you're now asking people who have you know, perhaps installed gas boilers for years to all of a sudden install air source heat pumps. They're different technologies and there needs to be the skills, the upskilling needs to go alongside all of this, definitely. So my impression is that the real trailblazers in terms of residential are the housing associations. And obviously one of the city deal projects is around homes as power stations. How involved are you in, in some of those really pioneering projects that are taking place in the region at the moment? Well, we were involved with maybe one of the first projects in, in that it was, it was Pathfinder project, which is Active Homes Neath. That was with Pobble Housing Association. So we worked with the design team to help spec out the materials that they, they would need, the different technologies that would be suitable. And we talked to a lot of the housing associations. So with the Welsh Government Innovative Housing Programme, a lot of the housing associations are partnering or just working with us. And, you know, they're on a mission as well to, they have quite a challenge in getting to the decarbonisation targets. So they want to up, upgrade their specifications and their standards that they use. But again, it, it's cost is quite an issue because at the moment, some of these technologies, this way of doing things does cost a bit more. And that's where the Welsh Government's Innovative Housing Programme has been really, really helpful. They've just launched the Optimised Retrofit Programme, which is going to be fantastic for retrofitting all the existing houses that we've got in Wales. And there's a company called Cerro Homes who are very much involved with that and very leading in this field. And I suppose that helps to upskill the supply chain as well. Those yeah. contractors in our region who are working with the housing associations are learning new skills on those projects. And I guess the hope is that then that, that starts to trickle through to the private housing sector and across the industry. That's it, yeah. I think working with the housing associations is, the, is great to begin with because they have a vested interest in reducing fuel poverty for their tenants. 
they want to work with local labour, they want to upskill. Whereas with the bigger house builders, it tends to be more driven by cost, I would say. So I think for this, the housing associations to lead the way is absolutely right. And hopefully it will trickle to the big house builders as well. And hopefully not just trickle, but quickly uh, yeah. and, <laughs> and urgently. That's right. Sometimes when you think about eco building, you think about cob building in a forest, really low impact environmentally, very much natural building materials. And then looking at those buildings behind you, the active classroom and the active office, they are incredibly high tech. Where do you see the line between use of sustainable materials and natural building materials versus kind of man-made or carbon heavy materials and can you do both can you have a high-tech energy efficient building that's really prioritize low impact materials in the making of it yeah yeah no definitely so i think embodied carbon in buildings is becoming more and more important because we've mainly focused i would say on operational carbon because that's really what our facility is about and we're a fairly small team so we can't do everything but Absolutely, as the grid decarbonizes, particularly because there's more of a mix of renewable energy in the grid now. And sometimes I think we've had some days this year when we're, there's been no fossil fuels used in our grid structure because of all the wind power that we've got in the UK, as well as some solar. So I think embodied carbon is becoming a lot more important. There's a company called Down to Earth who do a lot of building with natural materials, but they also incorporate photovoltaics and battery storage and EV charging. So it can absolutely you can do both, definitely. And I think one of the things about our buildings, although they do use a lot of steel, we're using off-site construction a lot. So some of the housing associations, there's one called Ilka Homes and there's Legal and General, they're doing modular construction for houses using steel frame, but maybe a combination of steel and timber. So in like in our active office, you see behind us the curve if you like that building was made up of 12 modules which is steel framed and then the curved roof was formed by curved roof timber roof trusses so it's a combination of both so we don't sort of put forward any one construction system but I think off-site is a good way of reducing carbon and whether that's timber or steel or or different materials but yeah definitely you can combine the two yeah, so important. And, you know, local sourcing as much as possible. You know, we can really kind of solve a lot of problems by tackling lots of issues all at the same yeah. time. And we've yeah. got some modular building companies in our region as well. And uh, it's a growing sector. Yeah, the one behind us was Wernick, who are just about 15 miles away from our campus. So we do have some great companies that you can use. And of course, when you're measuring embodied carbon in buildings, the transport to site is one of the measurements as well. So if you can use local, it's not only great for the region in terms of upskilling and creating jobs, it's actually reducing carbon as well. What advice would you give to clients? You know, we talked about how it's important that it's driven by clients, that, that the industry itself is going to do what's required under building regs, but the demands for better approaches to building needs to be driven by the informed client. So what resources or where would you signpost clients to, whether they're you know, building commercial property or residential? What should we be looking at and how can we inform ourselves better about what we need to be asking for? That's a very good question. <laughs> I don't think I have the, the one solution to this, but um, I mean, certainly 
I suppose if you, if somebody like yourself was wanting to look into this, where you would start is, yes, by all means, have a look at our website and the toolkit that we've got, because we are, you know, talking about some of the different technologies that are available and from an independent point of view. So I think one of the challenges for clients as well is there's a lot of information out there. Where do you start? And there's a lot of misinformation. So you know, manufacturers are going to promote their products and say they make, make the promises about them, but you need that independent view as well. You need that unbiased sort of viewpoint on what works. So I suppose I would say try and look for low carbon, low energy examples. And there are a lot of them around. Some of them I've mentioned today, like Down to Earth, Sarah Homes, a lot of the work that we're doing. We do actually have one in one thing in the toolkit is some references to different resources that might be useful. That's in our Active Building Glossary document. So there's a link to a lot of the really good websites. People like the UK Green Building Council, they've got a whole database of case studies of low carbon buildings. So I suppose I would say have a look at some of the examples of what people have been doing, because often people do share, you know, what worked well and what didn't work so well. That's certainly our intention is to uh, not just say everything was brilliant. Our buildings are definitely not perfect, but it's good to sort of talk about what, what worked and what didn't work so well. And yeah, you talked about de-risking it for others. So sharing the mistakes that have been made or what hasn't worked out as you'd hoped. And so what about for businesses in our region? Because with a marketing hat on, it seems to me that there's a huge opportunity for you know, some some of the smaller contractors and some of the larger ones to create a real niche for themselves in their expertise and delivery around active low carbon building. I, I think if the right company starts promoting its abilities in that in that way, they could clean up because I do think clients increasingly are looking for that in their contractors and in the supply chain. So for people in the industry that want to improve their own knowledge and understand more, um, how can they engage with specific and with yourself are you running workshops at the moment and where can we find the toolkit that's a very good question (laughs) so yeah i um i've been running workshops with architects but also with other engineers so i was running face-to-face sessions before march this year when of course we all went into lockdown but since then i've run a few online webinars so i ran one back in april and we had 89 participants from all sorts of different disciplines different areas i've also run one with engineers and I'm actually planning to do another webinar in December which I'm hoping to coincide it with the signing of the Paris Agreement the fifth year anniversary of that which is in December but if people want a workshop I mean we we work with as we mentioned lots of housing associations local authorities Welsh government and you know if if anybody wants to get a group of people together we'd be more than happy to run a workshop or just provide a seminar because that's one of our key things as a innovation and knowledge center is to share learning. Our toolkit is available on our website and uh, heading is about and it's what are active buildings and then you can find our toolkit there. Do have a look at that and get in touch. We've got business development managers who are always active in trying to look for companies for us to work with. We're really happy to work with people and give independent advice on projects where we can. 
we won't make things up. We won't pretend we know more than we do either. So you can be sure to get an unbiased opinion. <laughs> Great. I think that sounds like a useful resource. Yeah, the website is specific.eu.com. And yeah, what are active buildings? So I can only recommend that toolkit. It's been interesting and insightful for me as a complete lay person in all of this. So <laughs> thanks so much for coming and, and telling us a bit more about it. I think we all want to see the you know, sustainable building sector really growing in this region. It shouldn't be that any buildings are built without some awareness mm -hmm. of what can be done about all this. So to our listeners, if you're involved in any kind of development in the region, maybe it's a new community building or some other upgrades to property in your community, just be asking the question and raising awareness of the need for more eco technologies and more sustainable building because it's got to come from us as clients, as communities, asking for this stuff. And projects like Specific really are sort of blazing the trail and there's a lot that we can all learn. So thank you, Joanna, for your time this morning to talk through all that. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Great, thank you. Thanks for listening.